Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. This is your host, Megan Reardon Jarvis, and I am delighted to be sitting down actually for the second time with Priya Sony. We had a, it was months ago now, delightful sort of just, you know, checking in about the world of grief and loss conversation. And I pretty much begged you to come back on to the podcast. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so honored to be able to have this conversation with you today. It's such an important one. Will you just start to open up for our listeners how you come into the world of grief and loss and what your space is there? I think in terms of grief, I think about it through the lens of like different experiences I've had in my life, but the most milestone ones were the losses of my parents. Yeah. That's how I relate to it today is through the lens of that and how that has really impacted me. Losing one parent is very different than losing both. Yeah. So it feels like an untethering in some ways and a reintroduction into the world, almost like you've been born again and you're trying to navigate through this experience and grief for me, especially during a pandemic, like I was caring mother, it felt like a small pandemic in some ways, and then a larger one occurring later. Yeah. So give us the, just sort of like the timeline, how long ago did your parents die? So my father died in January of 2015 and my mother passed last year in August of 2021. Wow. So just a year ago. Yes. I'm learning more about just what you've described about sort of the back-to-back losses of parents. You know, I think there are different books and different people who talk about all the specifics And probably not surprisingly, I have found myself talking over and over again with people who had in quick succession losses of both parents. I'd love to ask you a little bit about like, what, what has grief sort of carved out for you? What do you find yourself thinking about? And what do you find yourself sort of passionate about? Um, Particularly because you have some time you know, our, our timelines are different, but they're sort of similar. You have some time behind you with your dad's death. Mm-hmm. One thing that I haven't said on this podcast in a long time, but I'll say it is that I don't usually have guests on until they have about a year of grief, um, underneath them. And that is honestly, because I'm a trauma therapist and I think sometimes you are not aware that you are in your trauma And you are sharing your story from a place of trauma, which is not necessarily regulated. And so I think it's just safer to give people about a year with their experience to sort of like acclimate to it. And then I know they're a little bit safer with their story and they can feel that, you know, they've told their story a number of times. And instead of it, maybe dragging them by the hair during a podcast episode, they're able to sort of share their wisdom the writer, my, my good friend, Laura Perry says it's talking about the pain instead of from the pain. So I'd love for you, however you want to talk about it with your dad's death, because you have some more time there. What did that do in terms of sort of helping define who you are today? When my father passed away, it was after a course of his illness of 12 years of an unknown neurological condition. So there was a lot of unpredictability and there was a lot of anticipatory grief and a lot of unpredictable things that were coming. We never really had a trajectory of knowing where to turn everything from like financial health to personal health, to his health, to family health, to all of those things. 
And through the experience, we were able to really learn a lot about ourselves and grief terms of my parents writing a memoir and sharing the legacies of things that they wanted to learn. And my mom having a spiritual discussion group to bring community into the home where my dad could also, when he wasn't able to speak because he had speech aphasia towards like the last several years of his illness, he was able to share out on an iPad, you know, by pressing play. And my sister had found a program where you could do that and share out his thoughts and feelings about particular subject matters that would be the topic of these, um, these spiritual group discussions, like happiness or acceptance. And there was a lot of growth from it. Mm-hmm. So grief was like this interesting thing where it was something that we got to know in our own respective ways and that we had the, I guess, the luxury of time and growth with it. Mm-hmm. With my mom's health, it her health rapidly declined and there was a lot going on, including a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And from the time that I that I moved back home to sort of these rapid declines with her, it was quick. So it was a lot of like trying to sort of find my way through it and grief just was kind of hanging out and I didn't really have time to address it. Yeah. I had to get to the next thing. And when I think about grief in general, in terms of like the larger scope, I do think that grief is one of our biggest public health issues Yeah, from a mental and physical perspective that I don't think we're addressing very well. <laughs> and I think it's underlying in a lot of the issues that we may have. Yeah. I also think of it as a language of love, mm-hmm. a language of care, a language, a language of compassion. It is the response to somebody or something or some experience that you've loved very, very deeply, or yeah. even somewhat something that you've cared about, something that you've been around, someone that you've been around for quite a long time. Yeah. And they're no longer in the physical space with you. So there's a yearning involved. Mm-hmm. And for me today, having time from the time of when my father has passed, and it's been a year since my mother has passed, I think of grief as this, I guess, acquaintance, sometimes mm-hmm. an interesting friend that I'm curious about that's hanging out in the passenger seat or hanging out in the driver's seat ever so often in the back seat. My hope is that over time, it will kind of hang out in the back seat because it's taught me a lot. I actually don't want it to leave Yeah. in some interesting way. I just want to be able to allow joy and inspiration and possibility and some level of like contentness to hang out in the driver's and passenger seat. And it does. I've learned to embrace it in some ways and allow it to teach me because I think moving through grief is kind of why grief shows up. It it helps us to get to the other side of things. And I do think it's a lifelong process with healing and grief. And I think they're hand in hand for the rest of my life, I know. And I'm okay with that. What I love about what you're talking about is sort of the way in which there's like an arc, right? Like how I am when I'm 16 years old, what music I like when I'm 16, you wouldn't expect me to necessarily only like that music and only want to go to those concerts when I'm 40. Music is also one of those things that has emotional drivers behind it, right? And so how I'm showing up to that music when I'm 16 is based on the emotions that are inside my body. What I've come to really understand and learned in the work with clients 
and also to some degree in my own process, but I still feel like I'm early in it, is exactly what you just described, which is you are just sort of constantly becoming. I like the way that you've described it as a friend, because again, it's like this visitation. It doesn't have to be there all the time, but you are getting to know each other different. It's a relationship as with any friendship that's going to sort of change over time. Sometimes I can't sleep at night because I'm so concerned about how much we actually know about grief and loss and how poorly that is communicated to the general public. Like it just kills me to go on grief and loss boards and see the same questions over and over again that we have answers to where people are really suffering. Do you have like a thing right now where you're like, oh man, if I was going to work on something or if I were going to write a paper or an op-ed, like this is from the perspective of someone who has done long-term caregiving, short-term caregiving, lost both her parents. I always have a like be in my bonnet where this is the thing that's driving me crazy today, or this is the thing that I really wish. Like if you gave me three seconds on the Today Show, this is what I'm going to say. Do you have something along those lines that really like it's your piece? Yeah. I mean, something that's come up for me recently is just how we're defining grief. Everybody has their own individual definitions of it and their own relationship with it based off of perhaps what they've witnessed or what they've read or seen on TV. And there's a lot of that going around today. But grief is like this interesting thing because I also think it's about the memories of somebody. And sometimes addressing grief, it's not about always sort of sitting in the discomfort and the high level of emotions or the awkwardness. Sometimes it's just about asking somebody, tell me about a great memory mm-hmm. of your mom or your dad or somebody that you've, that you've lost in your life that meant something to, or a job that you have that you're so sad you don't have right now. Tell me about a great, funny memory. And you find some level of joy in the experience. And it actually honors Mm -hmm. the person who's no longer here because they lived a life. And so for me, I think that it's really important to allow the memory and the impact of that person to continue to leave. The grief is not always like the tough, hard stuff. Sometimes when somebody who's grieving, addressing those memories, and if they're comfortable enough to talk about them, actually helps lift something because what it does is it brings a sense of belonging. It brings a sense of connection. It's a, we, it's a collective experience then versus it just being about the person who's grieving. Everything about what you just said is so gorgeous and really insightful. And I'm thinking about how we are defining grief, right? My mom was just a really funny person. She was a funny person. She told really funny stories And she loved the things that she loved, which often involved small children doing ridiculous things. You don't know my mom. You didn't grow up with her, but I could tell you how she used to send me these little YouTube videos of kids doing crazy things and how funny she found those things. And you would then next time you saw a funny video with it, you'd be like, oh my God, Megan's mom was like, it's not hard. Most of us are not talking about somebody who was, you know, the 1% of extraordinary. We're just talking about the people who were extraordinary to us. They were extraordinary in our lives. They weren't a celebrity. Most of us, you know, this was my mom. She was like a normal human being, but the way that I loved her was extraordinary. It's all the colors, isn't it? All the colors. I think it's an important point. People don't always relate the people they've lost in their life as their loved one. That's right. Complex relationship. And the secondary losses sometimes tend to be harder 
Sometimes it's the loss of friends who can't be there or others in your life who can't be there in the ways that you need them to be there. That's right. And it's interesting because I think that it doesn't take a lot of effort. Hearing about your mom just now, like gave me permission to be able to talk about my mom. And it doesn't take a lot of effort. And I probably will send you a video <laughs> that <laughs> right? I find that I think are these cute videos and ask you, would this be something your mom would have sent? I hope this brings a smile to your face hmm. because it is about those things that can bring a smile to our faces too. The other thing that I'm thinking about is when we're talking about being grievers, we're also the supporter of grievers, right? part of what you know, which is the experience of being a caretaker, particularly a caretaker of someone who is ill over a long period of time, is that these moments are often smaller, right? They're not the dramatic phone call moments. They're smaller pieces. And so it's it's like almost even more important that people say, hey, how is your dad doing? How are you doing? And to find space to be able to say, well, he is a little more confused these days. There's less to be able to have people who know how to show up for that conversation, but also to have, just have room to have that conversation. Because when you're losing someone in small bits and pieces, I don't know, the world and my job and my, you know, my neighbor, they're not showing up with, you know, chicken piccata as a thoughtful way of emotionally supporting me in those moments. Yeah. And I think like that when I think about the causes of grief and the causes, like what's behind the grief or what's behind trauma, it's often not like the events, these like bigger, small events. It's the fact that there aren't the people or the resources to help you move through the emotions around these events that cause grief or more grief that cause some level of trauma or more trauma or complex trauma. It's, not having an emotional witness to your experience. It's moving through the experience as a solo person. And I think that there is an aspect of this that you kind of, I always think about it as like hospital doors. You kind of have to walk through those hospital doors alone. But if there aren't people hanging out in the waiting area or even in the parking lot, it makes it that much more difficult. Yeah, that's right. And being discerning about who you allow into your life I think is also important. There are going to be wonderful people in your life, but they may not be the right people to Mm. be around you in these moments. Sometimes it's the people that you don't know very well. Sometimes it's the people who've been through similar experiences with different circumstances. Sometimes it's the person you might meet on a plane that shares something with you that shifts your perspective or changes your day or helps you feel not so alone. Because a lot of times we hear, and I know I've heard, and I've said, I feel I am alone, but it's more about the feeling of alone. That's right. And it's more about when we are being around somebody who is grieving, addressing the feelings, not the facts. Yeah. A hundred percent. You and I had a little conversation, which we could bring into the podcast, but we were talking a little bit about some of the language around grief and loss that drives us crazy. And you know, one of the phrases that drives me crazy is when people say you're not alone because you are alone. It doesn't mean that every moment you are unsupported, that nobody's saying that, but I have five brothers and sisters. Each one of us lost our parents alone because our relationships 
were different. I was asked this question a little while ago by a, a new therapist. The new therapist said like, you know, can you tell me what the classes are and the trainings are that therapists take to, you know, be able to like regulate their bodies and not absorb. And I started laughing and she was like, why are you laughing? And I was like, cause that's a lie that they tell you your own therapy is your own therapy. And then what you do to figure out how to not absorb all of the energy of the hard and the bad is on you. Mm -hmm. So I'm as interested as a griever and as a person that we be really vigilant around what is true, right? Just like what is true. It's always the and. It is always the and. And I talk about this with very close friends all the time. It is okay, yes, I physically do have people around me who can be of support. And this is an emotional journey that I will need to go through alone. There's nobody except the person I was taking care of who really was a part of that experience. And it's indescribable and it's a process. So it's all of those things. And again, it's the feeling also of being alone. Yeah, that's right. If I have people that I think also realize that this is a sacred experience, that if I'm sharing out my experience or they're sharing out their experience, that there's a sacredness involved and we're hanging out in the parking lot or in the waiting area, even better as I, let's say I'm walking through the hospital doors. Yeah. That makes it all that much more easier. Yeah. Yeah. I think navigating relationships is really tricky because people are fundamentally hurt and disappointed by people who have meant a lot to them in other places at other times who don't show up during their period of grief. They've been stunned by other people who are more periphery friends who showed up in ways that felt unbelievably healing. A lot of conversation goes on in that. And part of what I say about that is like, look, that's true in all the developmental phases of your life. When you get a new job, friends show up friends leave. When you have a baby, friends show up Friends sleep. When you get married, when you get ill, that's what happens. Friendships change over time at these big developmental stages. So part of it is it's normal. Doesn't mean it hurts any less, but actually it's not a problem. It's just one of those secondary losses, I think. And people are not sure how to navigate it. Do you have thoughts and feelings about sort of how we navigate these relationships and how we guide people in terms of like how to be there for us or be there for other people? Yeah, I think that it can often feel awkward and uncomfortable. And I've heard that people are not sure if they're saying the right thing, they don't want to say the wrong thing and make it worse, but grieving people are already not feeling so great. So in general, so showing up and being there is helpful. I think where we can do better is meeting in the middle, finding that middle ground. I think when we feel like we have to just sort of learn everything ahead of time and say all of the right things, it puts a lot of pressure and expectation on the experience. I think it's also the questions that we're asking and what we're actually admitting in the moment. So if one was to say, I really don't know what to say in this moment. I know that I want to be here with you right now. Is that okay? I think that's a different overall temperature that one can take when you're being there with somebody who's grieving or asking the question, what hurts you the most right now? Yeah. Or what, what pains you the most right now? Or like we were talking about before, I'd love to hear more about your mom. I'd love to get to know her through you. Yeah. 
that opens something up. Yeah. Because you're meeting somebody where they're at, letting them know that they matter, that that person mattered. You're learning something. And sometimes it may not be about those types of conversations, depending upon the person who's grieving. Sometimes it is about leaving a casserole and dropping a note and saying, hey, I left you something outside your front door so you can have it for dinner. Sometimes it's if you know them well enough coming in and saying, go ahead and do the dishes and vacuum, you go ahead and rest. Yeah. It's about those things. It's about those comfort things. Yeah. But I think that it's definitely about meeting in the middle and finding some middle ground, trying something new, being okay if it doesn't work, but showing up in the ways that the grieving person will be able to receive it. I think when we come to these relationships and these conversations and we come with a different set of goals and the goals could be rooted in, here are the solutions, here are the things that you could be doing. It takes a lot of effort for somebody who is moving through an exhausting level of grief to go and do. A lot of times it's about being. So how can we be with that person? And it's about, do I have the same goals and like me coming into this space right now? Because sometimes people can leave those conversations and say, I've tried, but they just sort of rejected what I was saying. Well, there weren't the same goals here. There weren't the same experiences. So meet somebody in the way that they're going to be able to receive the support. And to be able to do that, we have to go in and just be able to sit in some level of vulnerability and openness. I had someone say to me recently, and it's really stuck with me that it's like being a diplomat from your country to a foreign country, that even if you visited there before, you think you know it really well, that that really you need to take your cues from the person who is living in the country. And so if you go assuming that it's okay to be in the space, so, you know, we get consent to be there. And to then literally take your cues from the person. And when you're not sure, you ask, is this right? Am I doing this right? Is this good? So I think part of it is accepting the awkward, knowing that you're showing up with love and just stepping carefully and checking. I'm sending this with love. Is that is it being received with love? Is this okay? And, and not doing it in that subtle way that we sometimes do where you're like at a dinner party and your host yawns. And so you take that as an indicator that you should leave that when we're showing up for a griever or we are the griever, we have to say, I'm tired. I need you to go. Right. It's the art of listening. It really is. And it it is a learned process and it's being okay with making those mistakes sometimes and just honoring and saying, and having accountability and saying, I'm sorry, I asked that question. That may not have been the right thing. I'm just trying to find my way through this too. And sometimes it's just, not even about asking the questions. It's about sitting in silence. If that person's comfortable, maybe holding their hand, you know, touching their shoulder, letting them know I'm here. There's a presence that's here. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. And I'm thinking about a friend of mine who is not very touchy feely and not very therapy oriented and how she had a death in the family, I don't know, like a decade ago and how I really had to hold back my wanting to go hug and touch and give and show up and therapy words and books. That is what I wanted and would have wanted in her position. Even just the holding back and saying, Hey, I'm not going to come inundate you with all of my, you know, lavender pillows and 
bubble soap and things that I want to allow you space because your window and your space is going to be different. And I think it's tricky. I think it's, I think it's really tricky. And I mentioned this to you off mic that right now I have a friend whose mother is dying and it's the first time since my mother's death that I have had someone who has needed to talk to me personally. Clinically, it's different because I can navigate around it differently, but really personally needs to like show me this is what it's like. So I've gotten some texts that are pictures, gotten some voicemails that are really specific about hospitals and doctors that what it feels like is a little bit like being pulled by the hair into the, into my own experience. So I'm just curious about your thoughts about that in terms of like, how do we help people navigate? Everybody wants to be the person who can just show up for their loved one. But in reality, my kid just got suspended from school. This is pulling me into my PTSD. I have a weird spot on my breast, like all kinds of stuff goes on in life. Yeah, there's a growth piece about this that it asks of us, especially when it triggers something, it triggers our own experience. And I think it is about meeting the middle and being transparent. If this is a good friend, just, I think people appreciate that. I think most of the time they appreciate the fact when we, when we're able to say, I am here for you by text and by phone, perhaps that's my middle ground right now. At this point, it's really difficult for me to walk into a hospital. Yeah. It's just is it's going to bring up things and I may not be able to be of the most help in, in the ways that you need it. And where I want to be is in a place that you need and coming from a perspective and being equipped in some ways to be able to be there in the ways that you're going to, to receive it. So this is where I am now, but here are the things that I can do. I think that there are a lot of expectations we put on ourselves in these moments and a lot of catchphrases and words that we align ourselves to. And I think there is growth with those things. There's growth with boundaries. There's growth with values. Yeah. It changes over the course of time. Whatever boundaries you may have had for something may have to shift here and there. And sometimes boundaries and other things can be utilized as a way to distance in some ways. And it is about checking oneself, but it's also important to take care of ourselves in these moments that it triggers us because to be of service to anybody in our life, we have to be of service to ourselves first to be sustainable in all of this and letting people know that and saying, I'm going to take care of myself today, but tomorrow at this time, I'm going to be calling you and checking in, letting people know what they can expect too. So it doesn't feel so unpredictable. They know what they can count on, especially somebody who's grieving and going through a difficult situation, I think is super important knowing what one can count on. I, I'm having two thoughts while you're talking because I think everything that you're saying is totally spot on. And I'm superimposing my own experience. And, and when my mom died, I was so dysregulated and so covered in my own emotions that anyone having any emotion at me, towards me, near me felt like an affront it felt like, how dare they when, when I am bleeding? I think for the people who loved me and were trying to show up for me, I must have been really like a sea urchin, like very difficult. And I've had some conversations with people and they have expressed, you know, just 
how hard that was. So, so I am thinking about that. I was in that full contact, all the way body experience of just overwhelm. And so I couldn't take anybody else in. I realized this as you were talking, you know, I think we grow into grieving. I think we may grow into supporting in the same way. And I think probably every time we grieve, we grow a different part of ourselves to show up for that loss. And I think probably every person that we go to support is different. I think it's because you have to invent this territory. You have to, you have to lay the bricks in front of you to walk on that path. And I think you've just sort of described that, that that's what the middle zone is, is you go and you co-create it with the griever. Right. And there's no rule book and whatever sort of frameworks are made will not work for another friendship or for perhaps other people. But I can relate to what you're saying in some ways where there have been moments where I have been like somebody I love just passed away. (laughs) How come the world keeps going? Yeah. It's so insulting. And we just stop just for like just a few more minutes longer. And and, and, and that's what happens. And so it's about, again, the discernment. It's yeah. about who is involved in your world. Who do you have around you? What are the ways in which you are exploring what aid looks like for you? And that is all the growth process. Yeah. And there are going to be moments of real difficulty through it all. But I think that there could be meaning also behind this because whatever you're learning, however you're moving through it, if we can sort of be there for others who are moving through it when the time is right, then it's not about everybody reinventing the wheel. Yeah. It's about each one of us saying, okay, I'm carrying this and there is meaning and purpose in this. And there is a way to share that out. What does that look like? And when does that seem appropriate for me? And it's about sometimes sitting in those questions with no answers. What it's making me think when, you know, when I'm coaching people who are in loss and they are feeling all the things that we're describing, they're feeling alone, they're feeling confused about the meaning of their life. They're feeling, you know, maybe even concretely confused about how to keep moving forward. One of the things that I say, because it's like, we're not trying to avoid triggers, we're trying to navigate them. And being able to recover from a big spike in emotionality is, you know, that's a skill set. And knowing what you need to do to recover is a practice, right, that we establish. So one of the things that's on the top of my list is picking three to five people that you can let know when you get triggered. So what I do is I text the same three people, my husband and two of my dearest friends. And I'm like, this is the shit that's happening right now. And I don't even have to go into much detail. I just say I'm like in a triggered thing because of something about my mom or my dad. And they write back like, you know, I'm here. I see you. I know I care. There is this beautiful thing about our capacity to sort of reach out real fast. It tethers me and anchors me. I'm like, okay, they know. They know I'm having a hard time. They are sending me their caring about this thing that's hard. And it a little bit feels like their hands are holding up my back so that I can stay standing for the person that I want to be standing for. But I do think there's this weird ethos, and I've heard it said a thousand times, like, oh, the only people who know about grief and know how to show up, up for grief are people who you know, are grievers themselves, which is a total yes and. 
because some of the worst behavior, some of the absolute like destructive, problematic stuff has come from people who are like, oh, I've done this before. Let me tell you how to do it. Right. And I, and I think sometimes one of the, the first things that we can move through is shock. So it's just, it's just acclimating to what has happened and that can go on for quite some time. So I think actually grief is more difficult, at least for my journey, as more time has gone on versus it being something over time, it gets better. I get to know it more but it doesn't mean that it's going to all of a sudden just be easier or better, or I'm going to be equipped with some level of growth over like a certain set amount of time. I love the idea of your care team, the three to five people. That's exactly what I did before my mom passed. I called about three or four very close friends of mine. And I shared with them, I think something like this will happen in the coming months. I don't know when, And I really don't know how I'm going to move through it. I don't know what it will look like. There's a lot of unpredictability here as it has been. But what I do know is that I will need somebody to reach out to. Yeah. Could, would you be willing to be one of those people that I could reach out to and get some support if, if, and when needed? What I found was a very quick, of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I am there for whatever it is that you need. And that was so comforting. And I, so I think the things that we can find that we can find some level of control and predictability is super helpful in an experience. The other thing that I think is really critical in what you were just saying is that, you know, I get a lot of texts and and messages from folks who are like, I am pretty isolated. I am recently divorced. My kids just left the nest. I don't have that many, we just moved towns. And, you know, I think it can be painful. Like I definitely listened to some podcasts where somebody was like, and then my 13 girlfriends came over and like, they just loved on me and I felt better. And I'm like, I don't have 13 girls. Like, I don't, that's not the way I run my show. Like I don't have 13 girlfriends. I've got like, you know, three, three to four bestie buddies who've been with me a really long time in my life. But I think part of what we're also saying is like, we sometimes have to show up for life before we have established these things. You can actually walk into a friendship and say, would you be the, the equivalent of my emergency phone call? Can I, is this okay for you? Would this be okay? And you know, my, mine weren't as wordy and nice as yours. Mine were like, you keep your phone on bitch, because I'm going to need you kind of stuff. I think the sentiment of just asking and saying, this is what I need. My needs are okay here. Right. Cause I think that you get so dysregulated and overwhelmed. It's hard to know. And when something doesn't go right, it's sometimes what we do is we black and white it where we're like, Oh, well, they didn't want, you know, they weren't able to show up. I'm not going to ask anybody for anything. And I think if we're in your relationship, if people are listening to this right now and they have already gone through a loss and know that they'll, there will be another one down the line because they're always at talk to people now. Can you be part of my support network? Or, hey, did you know you are part of my support network? Do you have a thing that, you know, from your experience as a human being who went through this, where you were like, wow, this person did this and it was really helpful. I loved it. And I'm so grateful. Was there a person who showed up for you either in that long-term caretaking with your dad and your dad dying or in the more sort of, I think, aggressive and isolative experience with your mom, where you just look back at that and think like, damn, that was a way for someone to show up. 
Yeah, I have a very close friend and strangely enough, we've been through some similar experiences, especially through the caregiving process. I think one of the biggest gifts that she's given me is she's seen me and heard me through the experience and the assurance that is always there, no matter what. It is a level of reminding me in these moments that are very, very hard, indescribable, not meant to be described and letting me know, hey, this is who you are. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. And it's okay that you are where you are right now. That is okay. And I have, you know, I actually have a few friends who are are like that. I mean, I have several friends, but a few that I really sort of rely on that are just sort of great reminders, especially when I can get caught in the weeds of things. Yeah. Sort of say, hey, big picture here. Yeah. Get to the big picture and really remember who you are in these moments. And in that way, it's finding the elements of my mom and my dad in those that I have in my world. And in that way, it is about honoring who they are. And I have found that that is something that's super important. Those those elements of my parents that were so comforting and finding that through the community that I have around me, kind of, it just extends their impact in my life and keeps it moving along as I move through my life without Mm -hmm. them in a physical way. God, that's so gorgeous. That's such a beautiful way to think about what it feels like to be supported, which is, you know, kind of like somebody in the back who's going to, I don't know, feed you your lines, you know, if you forget them. And I think there is an element of grief that really is like that, where you just get lost in it. And some of what you lose is parts of yourself. And so to have the people who are, I don't know, three yards away being like, no, you don't, (laughs) that's not your favorite color or whatever it is that you might need. And then that helps you do the next really gorgeous thing, which is like honor the people that you loved in that meaningful way like remembering them and and bringing them into the community and bringing them into the space as someone who's both been a griever and someone who supports grievers that seems like a experience we should not avoid that we should consider an honor and um an incredible life gift i think yeah it's it really is in and being able to see it as a gift you know as yeah. well i think one of the most important things that one can do is to, to also determine like what's a ritual, what's a routine. So the rituals involved in some of this also help you move through the different points of the day, the ritual of conversation with close friends and family. So my family has uh, taken on certain rituals throughout the experience while my mom was here, while my dad was here and afterwards. And I'm so grateful that we've been able to honor it in a way that says we honor our parents in that way too, that their their memory is still alive for us. And every time I see a certain flower or every time I, you know, let's say smell a different perfume or cologne, or I hear a word, sometimes a word will remind me, oh, my mom used to say that word, mm. that word. It maybe used to be like overset when my mom was alive, right. but now it's like, I love that that person just said that word. I hear my mom in this moment, all in big things. A routine is just a pattern. And a ritual is a pattern with meaning. Is that 
Is that right? Right. I think about it as this place to be able to connect to what came before you. And I think about spiritual as spirit and ritual. So because of the word together, spiritual. So it's whatever is bigger than you, depending upon what your beliefs are. And if we can have faith in that, then I think that does help us move to the next step. And sometimes it's the small steps. I think most of the time it's the small steps that make the big difference. Well, that makes sense to me also, because I think we miss our people in the small bits that, you know, I've sat with thousands of reavers and in my own experience, the way that we miss people is not because they gave us, I don't know, a giant diamond ring or a car or, you know, flew us to Dubai. It's that we used to sit and watch that TV show together or that they ate their ice cream this way. And it drove me crazy. Or that was the only brand of toothpaste that they would ever use for 30 years that though, when I ask people, what are the very specifics? How would you know to find your person in the dark? Those are the things they talk about. Well, they mint chip ice cream from the outside in and they only would use crest whitening toothpaste. That's what they're talking about is really small bits because I think that's how we love each other is just in the everyday small bits. Right. It's, it's in sort of like these deeper conversations I used to have with my dad, just about life and what he had hoped and it's also about some of the, the smaller things where my mom would call me pretty often and say, did you eat? What do you have? It's that showing of love. Is that culture um, also involved in that showing of love too. I'm in the middle of the, well, it just started up again, the writer's workshop. And it's making me think what a beautiful question to ask. What were the rituals of love between you? What was the thing that your person said to you all the time? How do you think about their voice? How do you imagine their body? I, you know, I ask those questions because again, the way that I remember my mom is not like dressed up in some fancy way. It's like standing in her garden in this little pink tank top and these yellow shorts that I'm pretty sure we're like hand-me-downs for one of her children, like just standing there in the summer, you know, watering. I must've seen her doing that a thousand times, like driving to the driveway and there's mom watering, you know, it just has a very special, very little, very small piece of love that I hold on to. I hold it lightly, but also firmly. It's very, it's very close to my heart. This has been such a gorgeous conversation. I just feel myself deep in my heart space and I appreciate you being willing to talk about your own experience while also talking about the things that we know to be true and that we work to teach other people. If people want to get in touch with you or know more about your writing or your working, or is that possible? How would they do that? Sure. I have a website, which is priasoni.net. My email is the caregiving effect, E-F-F-E-C-T at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram. So it's at Priya Sony and I'm on Facebook under the caregiving effect LLC. So there's many different ways and routes to reach out to me. And I'm always happy to hear from someone because one of my biggest passions is building and maintaining community. I will put in the show notes, all the information that Priya just said. So if you want to go find her, you'll find it clickable in the show notes. And it was such a pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, I so enjoyed every minute. 